active doesn't necessarily just mean we're creating activity for the kid. We're also having an active environment with our staff that our team is actually showing, hey, this would be a great way to do a backflip. This would be a great way to um, use the trapeze. This would be a great way to do this activity. So they're teaching and coaching the kids, which again, makes the parent happy. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going fantastically, Josh. How are you? Ah, doing great. I'm so excited for our guest today, but first, quick question for you. You got it. What is the best movie you saw in theaters? Oh my gosh. Without thinking too, too much about it, I'm going to have to say Ocean's Eleven. Ooh, okay. I believe I saw that in theaters too. Why was it so great that you saw it in theaters? Well, there was a number of reasons. It, I, it's one of my favorite movies, right? The whole Oceans series. Um, but I think it was because the way that the movie sort of unfolded wasn't just about the movie, but also the people in the theater experiencing it. So that when, the, when there was a surprise or there was a an ooh or an ah, like it was it wasn't just me sitting there on my couch. It was kind of the collective experience. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's the cool thing about seeing a movie in theaters. When I think about that similar type of experience, I think of it from a couple of horror movies that I've seen, particularly the Paranormal Activity movies. Anybody who has seen those movies when they weren't in theaters, they might say, oh, it's really underwhelming. It was boring. It moved so slow. But for me, I saw them in theaters and it gave me so much anxiety. And when something scary would happen and the entire theater would scream, that's what I remember from that experience because of the energy that was in the theater. And that's going to segue quite nicely into what we're going to talk about today with our guest, Robert Morris. He is the VP of Development and Operations for Altitude Trampoline Parks. They have close to 90 locations in multiple countries and continuing to grow and celebrating their 10th anniversary. But one of the things, one of many amazing things that Robert talked about is the energy inside the park and how that's contagious and that it's more fun when you're in a park full of people rather than if you're just there by yourselves. And I feel like I have felt that too, not just in movie theaters, but in, in trampoline parks, in theme parks, in museums, there is that that collective energy that compounds on the experience. I would even say restaurants, you know, as someone who travels a lot and I go to restaurants, you know, sometimes by myself, you know, if the place is, is um, full and it's hopping, that's more exciting. You know, if I'm going into some place that doesn't have, you know, many people in it, first of all, I'm wondering how, how good the food is. Right. right. Um, but if there's, um, 
you know, so, and that, that brings the energy down. Um, but one of the things that was really cool about when Robert talked about the energy that is created in a park with more and more people in there is how he tied that to the conversation about memberships. Because mm-hmm. so often we talk about memberships in a dollar and cents uh, capacity, right? Here's our return on investment, right? Well, when you think about the energy that is created when there's more and more people in the in the facility, and by the way, when you have a membership, you're probably more likely to go more often. That creates the energy more often, a higher level of energy more often, which is going to want is going to make people want to come back. So right. I thought it was really cool how he tied in energy with the membership concept. Right. And then the guest experience, the advocacy that comes from that is very much a byproduct of all of those other things. So you get the continual return on the memberships. You get uh, the in-park spend. You're buying food and beverage, whatever that is. Uh, and and you get that because of the energy that you experience in the park. So Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Robert talks about so many great things. We talk about talk about leadership, talk about leading by example. Uh, we talk about Altitude's mission of active family fun and what that really means and the importance of kids socializing with other kids and interacting with each other. Uh, and he also uh, uh, introduced a great concept to us that I don't think either of us were too familiar with uh, prior to this, which is return on capacity and the actual um, the actual way that the facility is designed and what it is that you're implementing into it to be able to uh, to serve guests. And he compares revenue with sales as different metrics uh, that really tie into profitability. One of the things I really appreciate about what Robert had to say is how altitude is different from other trampoline parks or adventure parks, right? And, you know, I think a lot of people will kind of lump them in if they don't know. I mean, it's like, it's like the same thing when you go to Orlando, right? Disney and Universal and SeaWorld, they're all the same, right? They're all owned same by thing. the same people, same thing. Um, but I really appreciate how he's differentiated not only the the demographic, but also the business model. I thought it was really, really uh, fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so excited to jump into this interview with Robert. But first, one more quick question for you. Yeah, have you seen the original Ocean's Eleven with the Rat Pack? I have not. Oh, you should check it out. Is it good? Do you like it? Yeah, similar storyline, but uh, it, it has a very different ending. I'll tell you that. And it was like from the 60s. So overall, a lot of different dynamics too. Not as much uh, exciting technology as they did in the in the remake with George Clooney. <laughs> well, so now we have to go. We got to get to this uh, interview with Robert so I can go watch it. There you go. See ya. Hey, Robert, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing today? Doing just fine. Looking forward to talking to you and Joshua. Absolutely. So, Robert, can you first of all give us a, a quick background on kind of your history in the industry? I got signed on to the industry just over 10 years ago with uh, King's Dining and Entertainment, an upscale uh, bowling and table game venue. After that, I moved on with uh, Drive Shack, which was a golf experience um, driving range. And then worked with uh, Desert Entertainment and their large um, complexes in the Florida market, along with Andretti's Indoor Karting and Gaming. And that's before joining the Altitude team just over two years ago um, and our 80 plus locations across the country and overseas. Wow. Hmm. So I'd be curious too, even uh, uh, your background prior to being in the FEC in the attraction space, uh, before coming on to Kings, you were with Ale House, you were a number, uh, with a number of, we were with Darden, a number of other restaurants. Here as far, as far as what that transition was like from the restaurant space into the FEC space. Obviously there's a lot of similarities, but was there a learning curve with that too? There was a learning curve. The um, element that Kings as a whole was more of an upscale dining experience blended in. 
um, the Ale House, the Darden, doing some fine dining um, previously to join the FEC. Ultimately, the transition, it helped because ultimately you're worrying about, you're looking at, are your guests happy at the end of the day, whether in the restaurant space or in the entertainment space? So it taught you that element towards it. Um, the difference is, is that um, I think working in an element like an alehouse and the brand that I worked with with Darden, you had a lot of moving pieces, which got you ready for the entertainment space. Ultimately, it's about working with your people, not managing your people, but working with the employees that you have and allowing them and giving them the best scenarios to be able to handle the guest walking in the building. And I think that set me up for success in the entertainment industry, not thinking of the people who walk in our door as customers, but thinking of them as guests. And that I think ultimately lends itself to all the companies I've worked for and especially with Altitude today. Well, Robert, you're speaking my language when you talk about working with uh, your employees. So can we peel back that onion just a little bit and talk a little bit about your maybe your strategies or your tactics or things that you do on a daily basis that, you know, your mindset leads you to working with the people, you know, in a very cooperative way than rather than kind of working against them? I think there are a lot of adages that you can use. Um, actions speak louder than words. Um, that's one of the ones that I've always been taught from my mentors in the industry. And I teach to the people that I work with today. I go, if you're telling people to do something and you're not actually following through on it yourself, it's going to, whether they're 16 years old or 60 years old, it creates a hypocrisy in how you're actually rolling out the business. I go, you know, if a trampoline needs to get changed, I'm there to help the employees. If there's, you know, a cup on a table, I'm there to pick it up. There are certain things that as a vice president, a manager, an hourly employee, you have to convey an environment where nothing is, for lack of a better word, beneath you because it's all benefiting the guest walking in the building. Um, and I think we've all seen the person who points. If you're pointing, you should be doing the same exact aspect and leading by example. And you'll see the... Um, the people that are working with you are going to embrace it. They're going to do those elements, even when you're not in the building, more so than if you're just telling them. If you can put it in an email, you should be able to live that same example when you're in the building. Mm -hmm. That's good advice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and then with that, I would actually love to kind of transition that into really talking about Altitude as far as your role with Altitude. And for those who might not necessarily be familiar with the brand, with the product, can you give us a, a little intro there too? Yeah, Altitude is probably the largest entertainment brand in the United States you may not have heard of. <laughs> With just under 90 locations, it's one of the five largest entertainment brands in the United States. Um, it started off just over a decade ago. We're celebrating our 10-year anniversary in the Dallas-Fort Worth area with the first location, and it's grown to where it is today. It is a trampoline-centric venue focusing on kids 3 to 12, but when you turn 13, we're still letting you in the building. We still have attractions for the older siblings and older kids to come in. But the primary focus is the three to 12 year old that comes into our venue. And that's something that we embrace as a um, as an entertainment venue that we're providing that for kids who haven't reached those ages yet and having an all-inclusive attraction. Um, so that's what we focus with altitude. When I joined just over two years ago, my role was overseeing operations so I work with the vendors, bringing in national programs for our parks, how to properly execute in the park. With trampoline parks, I think one of the elephants in the room is risk liability. So I work with insurance carriers to mitigate and lower the risk for our attractions. 
but I also work with the vendors on how to manufacture those attractions. And in that role, I've also developed now into more into development. So it's site selection, design, elements of how to execute a park, not just for the guest, but also for the owner, which is incredibly important to altitude. It's not about just growing sales. It's about growing revenue. And they're two different things. Like, is the park set up properly for long-term labor? Do you have like attractions near attractions, like the vertical attractions that need to be manned? Are they near each other? Are the sight lines clean for a parent to be able to actually look through and see three quarters of the park while they're seated down so they're not chasing and helicopter parenting throughout the entire park? But also from a labor perspective, every park can operate on a good labor on a Saturday afternoon during the summer or on a rainy Saturday day in the winter. But can that park operate efficiently on a Tuesday when kids are in school? And I think that's a balancing act that as a franchisor, we embrace the success of our franchisees. Um, I'm sure everyone looks for their franchisees to be successful, but not everyone puts that as the number one priority. And that's what we do as a franchisor. One of the things I'm curious about, Robert, is as you talked about risk um, and you talked about your demographic, you know, the the, the very, very young uh, toddlers, is that different um, than, you know, a venue that is, um, you know, catering toward older teens or even adults? There is a difference because there are certain attractions that will have height restrictions or in some cases a weight restrictions. We try to limit that because the only time you ever want to tell a guest no it's for safety. So we try to limit those occasions where we have an attraction that's 48 inches or older or that, but we do have playgrounds in our parks and those are for the younger kids. We do have a kid's court where we limit the height where an older kid would not be jumping in there. But we do a lot of parks that do toddler times where 10 a.m. to noon on a weekday, it's toddlers get a little bit more free reign to the park. So, but it also gets the energy into the park there. But what we work with a lot on our parks is reducing risk. You can never truly reduce risk. I mean, you can be a clothing store and someone can slip and fall in your park in your clothing store. So inherently, there is a certain element of risk in everything you're going to do. But we try to limit that with the industry standards for safety, having great training programs set up. But we also do it when we look at the attraction itself. And one of the things we work with our parks on is because by and large, our parks are, you pay one admission and you enjoy all the attractions. It's not a um, carnival atmosphere where you're having to pay for individual tickets. But we look at it and we call it return on capacity. Is there, is that square footage, how many kids can enjoy that square footage during a certain time frame? How likely are they to repeat that attraction? Because if it's a one and done attraction, that's not a very practical application for our franchisees to put into their parks. But we also want to look at how many people can get through it in an hour. How many people are having to staff that attraction? What is the capacity? And do you have a return on it? Because a lot of people look at it and go, hey, I spent X on the attraction. You didn't just spend X on the attraction. You also have to pay property taxes, common area maintenance, and rent, and utilities for that square footage for the next 10, 20 years for that attraction. So you know, if it's 1,000 square feet and only two kids can do it at a time, and only 20 kids can do it in an hour. Is that the same value as an attraction that 20 kids could do at a time and take up the same square footage? 
So there is a balancing act in there. So that's when we work with our franchisees to go, yes, this one may have some bells and whistles, but it also has an expense and it also has a risk. This over here has just as almost as many bells and whistles, but look at the value and look at the kids that are going to be able to enjoy that attraction. I think part of that team compare that to purchases we're making in our personal life with a car, with a house say, yeah, my, you know, the car's paid off, but still have to get the oil changed, still have to, you know, refuel right. it, still to, you know, do all the maintenance that's required on it. And that should go into the initial calculation when you're looking to make these large investments as far as what that looks like going forward. Uh, one of the things I'm curious about too is, you know, you talked about really focusing on that younger demographic, that three to 12 and really wanting to be all inclusive for everybody. Uh, very much reminds me of just, you know, Walt Disney sitting on that, on that bench by the carousel, watching his kids on it saying, I wish there was something that, you know, parents and kids could, could enjoy and do all together as a family, uh, which of course inspired, you know, Disneyland and, and, uh, uh, and of course the subsequent parts after that, but as far as really being able to kind of create that balance of that experience, a three-year-old is going to have a very different experience than a 12-year-old and, and very much in between. And you talked about that, that toddler time and kind of that exclusive time, but really being able to, to balance it, to being everything for everyone without risking alienating part of that same demographic that you're also trying to serve. Yes, there is. I mean, there are certain attractions that are going to have crossover that a three-year-old and a 12-year-old could both enjoy, or even a 15-year-old. Um, so we do have that element that we bring in. Let's say if you have 15 attractions in your park, there's probably five that are crossover. There are probably five that might lend themselves to younger, and there might be five that lend themselves to older. But also, there are certain attractions that you can enjoy in different rates. And I'll use an example. Um, monkey bars a classic attraction in a trampoline park that goes over an airbag in our parks. The experience that a five-year-old has on that attraction is different than the experience that a 13-year-old has on the attraction, but it's still inherently the same attraction. Like a 13-year-old is trying to see how fast they can get to the other side. But a five-year-old is just feeling the success of getting halfway or to the other side. So there is a certain element where the same attraction can be utilized for two different people. Um, and they can both enjoy it. So we do look at those. Um, we have great attractions from Valo Motion and from True Movement with Multiball. They're augmented realities, not virtual realities where you're putting on the Oculus or a um, headset, but where you're able to enjoy an attraction that has technology blended in. Um, whether you be throwing a ball at a wall to play the game or you're jumping on the trampoline and you're in actually integrated into the video game, both of those attractions Varying on the game they select, it works great for a five-year-old, it works great for a 15-year-old. So a lot of times it's having an attraction that can be attractive to both age demographics. They might incorporate it differently, but it appeals to both of them. But like a playground generally is going to be that three to five-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, a zip line is generally going to be for that older, you know, 10 or older group. Um, but it allows where they're still able to enjoy it because I know people who won't ride the roller coaster at Disneyland, but they're still going to enjoy Snow White or they're still going to enjoy, to a certain extent, Small World. Um, and they're going to um, they're still going to enjoy those rides. So I think there is a lot to learn from other parks. I mean, there is a lot to learn from going to a Disney and seeing that they sat there and said, these attractions fit everybody, but these attractions have thrill elements and these attractions are more kiddie but the core of the park is flexible all the way through um, because what it, how a kid enjoys at Pirates of the Caribbean is different how an adult enjoys Pirates of the Caribbean. 
So, Robert, one of the things I'm curious about is when you go to the Altitude website and you see those three words underneath the name where it says active family fun. Um, and to me, the word that jumps out of that is active because everybody talks about family fun. But how important it is, is it to you and the brand to provide an opportunity for kids to get out and do stuff and be active and, you know, brick a sweat and all those kind of things? I think it's important because the reality is the reason we say active is um, – our CEO has an expression, get kids off the screens and on the trampolines hmm. is that I think anyone can be in their home and play Fortnite or play roadblocks or play any other one of those games. You can do that anywhere. But what altitude allows for is not just active in that they're breaking a sweat or they're doing something activity. It's allowing them to have a free play because going to a soccer practice or a football practice is organized, but you have to allow the kids to have imagination. And that's what altitude allows them to have inside of their parks. It's a modern day. I remember when I was a kid, you went on a jungle gym, you went on that one spinny thing, that slide that burned your legs if it was too hot out. All those attractions, that's what kids when I grew up got to go do. There wasn't the trampoline park in the nineties to go enjoy, except for a few isolated areas. This is that modern day um, playground for the kids. But also, I think active in the last few years comes on to a second meaning. There are a lot of, when I say active, it's active in-person socialization. It's where kids are actually able to interact with other kids. And I think that's one of the things that you get to see inside of our parks is you see brothers and sisters and you see friends interacting, but you also see a kid who's never met this other kid being able to interact. And I think the socialization, in-person socialization is something that can't be lost on what that's actually building into the kid beyond just the physical activity. So how important is that? Here we're near the end of 2022 and a lot of kids these days is part of their formative years was inside, at home, socially distant, quarantine and then being able to uh being able to offer this interact interactive in a way that they're they're uh interacting with other kids their age uh being able to really stress the importance of that to say hey come see other people and actually be social which is what human beings just need to do i think one of the biggest elements in there is is that people looking at um the activity, it's just an extra added bonus. I go, you want your kids to be out there engaged, getting a little sweat, but I think the social activity is something that cannot be understated, especially in this environment. Kids need to be able to socialize. They need to be involved with other kids. It's only gonna benefit them long-term and make everything, you know, for lack of a better word, get them back to being normal kids where they're actually making new friends and you see the parents, truly their faces light up when their kids are making new friends inside of an altitude. It's just, and honestly, from the family element, sometimes the moms and dads who bring in their kids, it's almost a break. They can sit down and they can actually just take a breath while their kids are playing with other kids um, and knowing that they're in a safe environment. That's just something part of it. And ultimately, in those three words, active family fun, it kind of goes without saying when you come into a trampoline park, you should be having fun. Um, and sometimes some of the most happy moments for me as a parent aren't just moments that I'm having with my kids. It's me watching my kids have fun. Um, that's sometimes why people take their kids to a theme park or they take their kids to an altitude. It's just the price of admission is worth it to see their kids smile. 
And that's something that we embrace is that if you see kids smile, you know, you've been doing that job. And we tell a lot of our owners, this is the only investment you're going to get paid in dollars and smiles. And some of our owners just love coming in and just seeing kids jumping and smiling and telling their parents on the way out the door, when are we coming back next time? So one of the things I'm curious about is you talk about your demographic from three to 12, but really the decision makers are the parents, right? They're, they're the ones that are going to bring, bring the kids and bring them back and put them in the car and all that. So what are you doing uh, from, you know, taking care of the parent standpoint while they're in there watching their kids? I know you mentioned sight lines so that obviously the parents could see and make sure their kids are safe, but what other kind of things do you do to kind of enhance the, the experience for the parents? There are a few elements that we bring in for the parents. One is we've moved to putting in soft seating. Um, I think everyone knows the massage chairs are always a big hit for the parents. But one of them is making sure to take care of the kid and making sure that kid is having fun allows the parent to be relaxed, having that you know limited access point so the parent doesn't have to worry about their kid being in an unsafe environment. Having our staff having engagement because the act active doesn't necessarily just mean we're creating activity for the kid. We're also having an active environment with our staff that our team is actually showing, Hey, this would be a great way to do a backflip. This would be a great way to um, use the trapeze. This would be a great way to do this activity. So they're teaching and coaching the kids, which again, makes the parent happy. But also when a parent goes up to grab something, our our team's engaged, they're smiling and smiles are contagious in a good way um, that people can sit there and see someone smiling and they can sit there and go, you know what? I enjoyed coming in here. The, the, the staff was engaged. The If they host a birthday party, the staff's engaged and they sit there and go, this was the activity that I paid for because yes, everything costs just a little bit more these days, but you need to provide value to the parent. That if a parent sits there and says, I paid, you know, $20 and I got $30 worth of fun out of it for my kids. They're going to come back. They're going to be the decision maker and sit there and go, I, my kid came in and paid for two hours and my kid was begging to stay at two hours. They're going to come back the next week or the next month. They're going to have that activity in that moment. If the kid is sitting there an hour in and it comes to our return on capacity, if an hour into their visit, they're sitting down with their moms or dads sitting at a table going, I'm ready to go. They're not coming back. So you have to provide that value um, because unfortunately things do cost money, but you need to see a value in what you spent. And for the parent, they're looking for a return on investment that, you know, if I go to a movie and pay $15 and the movie's bad, I never want to see a movie like that again. But if the movie's great, um, you're going to go back and see it again, or you're going to go back and see that actor, actress, or that type of movie again. Yeah. I, so what's really interesting is, is you covered on a couple of things here as far as delivering the value and as far as you know the, the price of admission to the parent is worth it being able to see the kids smile. You also talked about the staff engagement, the important uh, part of that as well. Can you talk about how those two really blend and how you're able to really stress to the staff that the reason for their engagement is to deliver the value and that the parent is going to get that value by seeing their kids smiling and having fun? A lot of that comes back to the hiring and the training. Um, you can you can train someone from certain levels, but it's finding that employee when they walk in the door that wants to be involved. They're not doing it for a job. They're doing it because they want to work at an altitude and they want to be engaged with, you know, kids and they want to be engaged with parents. 
Um, and knowing that that's the expectation. You want people who inherently are engaging people with the right personality. So it starts from day one with the hiring. If you hire the right people, you train them. But again, like I spoke to earlier, you lead by example and you show that actions are um, better than words. You will sit there and have that staff that's engaged because they see that the managers, the owners, the support center are all engaged. They're going to be engaged as well. So I think it comes down to that is hiring and then following through with the right employees to create that environment inside the park. And then how do you scale that being almost 90 locations, right? It's it's probably one thing to say, hey, we can do this in one, maybe two or three, but now you've got all over the country. How do you, how do you ensure that quality assurance uh, at every location? We follow through with our, we do work engaged. We contract with EcoSure, one from a safety element and make sure the parks are secured. So they're getting inspected on a regular basis. We have our operations team and the balance of our support center. We're in the parks, but it also comes down to when we're bringing on ownership into the parks, our franchise owners, if you're not just, it even goes one step beyond just bringing in the right employees, you need to bring in the right owners. You need to bring in an owner who embraces that model and sister and says, this is how I want to run the park. We don't sit there and just go, oh, so you can you know write a check. That's not a qualification to be an owner. It's being able to embrace the model and to sit there and run it because ultimately our parks are only as good as the weakest link. If one park has a bad experience in Peoria, Illinois, I'm using that as an example because we don't have one there yet. <laughs> um, if that park has a bad um, has a bad experience, it hurts the parks in other parts of the country because that experience, from a guest perspective, I would say 99% of our guests think of us as one unified body, not multiple owners. They have a bad experience at one park. That is now every other park has now got that same experience. So that's why we have to embrace it. And that's what our owners embrace is that they understand their responsibility to the other owners, their other partners in this um, endeavor that they need to create a successful environment. Yeah. So I would love to touch even more really on, on the franchise side of it and whether it's about ensuring consistency or, you know, you talk about from the employee standpoint of finding the employees that want to be there, but you also talk about it from the owner standpoint. So what is, what is that qualification process look like? If I say, Hey, I want to own, I want to open an altitude franchise. What are the next steps there to be able to qualify? Basically, you work with it, you know, the standard, you fill out the form online, that obviously doesn't qualify, but then you actually go through a discovery process with um, Kaylee Poirier, who's our manager of franchise development, myself, the balance of the team. Um, you meet us at the parks, we walk you through, you speak with different owners, and we take in all that data and information. I mean, there's some, you know, procedural elements that we have to go through to become a franchise owner. Those generally, you know, are more X and O on um, whether someone's qualified or not qualified um, to be an owner. And some of those, unfortunately, do fall into a financial elements. Um, there is an investment to be made. But what's almost more important to us is, are you culturally going to embrace being an altitude owner? And we have some owners that are the general manager of their parks. We also have some owners that we call ambassador owners. They want to be there to come in. Um, high five their teams. They're not on the schedule, but they want to be involved in it and they want it for their community. Um, and there's some owners that, you know, look at it as an investment, which is fine. And they hire really great people to be a part of their model. 
Um, so we work with all those elements and there are people who are in between each of those, but um, ultimately it's finding an owner who culturally wants it for the right reasons um, and wants to be a part of the um, dynamic of altitude. Yeah. So speaking of kind of how altitude operates, I love the, you know, the, the thought about or the talk about how those those franchisees uh, kind of come on board in your process. And it's very similar to, you know, a team member, right? You know, it's the right cultural fit versus, you know, what skill you might have or how much money you have. Although, like you said, finances is part of it. Um, but one of the things I'm, I'm also wanting to kind of dive into a little bit is memberships, uh, because right now, if you're listening to this, when this comes out, Robert is actually on stage at IAPA talking about memberships. And so um, I wondered if we could- It can only be one. You can't do both, right? right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Great. So you just, just ruined the whole illusion. This was live. Great. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, your thought process and, and your, your outlook on memberships for FECs. I think memberships and altitude is a little bit different than some of the multi-attraction FECs, but we're actually going to speak to that at IAP as well. Um, one of the important things about memberships is, is that people have to understand that it is not giving something away. I think that's the first reaction people have is, well, it costs $25 to do these attractions. Why would I sell a membership for $10 in an altitude example for most of our parks? You're not. The reality is, is that most guests, and this is based on IAPA and almost everyone else's research, most guests, no matter how successful your FEC is, visit you two to three times a year if you did a great job. But if you have a membership, those people come back more often. And I think what gets undersold in a lot of people is the energy in a park becomes contagious. Mm. Uh, no one wants to play dodgeball in an altitude with two people. That's not really fun. Um, no one wants to go to a traditional FEC and play laser tag with two people. That's really no fun. Uh, they don't want to do a dark ride with two people. They don't want to do a go-kart race. Some people might with two people, <laughs> but all those attractions, the energy in the room is, um, contagious. I think we've all gone to a movie before in our lives and we sat there and said, it's the reason you go to the movie is to experience that you hear the oohs and the ahs at the same time with the audience. And not just at home, no matter how good your TV is, it's not the same experience. So you want the energy, but you also get the advocates. You have people who now, because they're a member, they feel a part even more than just a guest. So that's the person who um, is writing the proverbial Yelp review, telling, praising how great you are. They're the person that when someone, when they go to um, check, when they come into your park, they're checking in on Facebook. They're showing the photos of their kids. So now their neighbors have to keep up with the Joneses and come into altitude also because they've endorsed you. So you have those people, but it's also about removing, I think all FECs um, and even restaurants to that extent have a, have a roller coaster. You know, you got to make money on Friday and Saturday night to pay the bills for Monday through Thursday. Well, when you have a membership, a parent may not on a Wednesday afternoon, bring their kid into an FEC traditionally. But if the kid got an A when they pick them up from school and they have a membership, maybe they come in for an hour and they enjoy the park. Um, but when they came in for that hour, it wasn't free. You know that mom and dad just bought the kid, you know, a Snickers bar or they bought them an icy or they bought them, you know, an ice cream cone or they got them a hot dog or they got a nachos. They got something to secondary spend. But you also added energy to your Wednesday afternoon into your park. And it creates that. But also for lack of a better word, you got revenue. I think we all can look on our TV screens when you sign into Roku 
and you got at least three or four streaming services you haven't watched in over six months, but you still paid for them. And I think everyone has had a gym membership. I mean, I'm probably a platinum member of some gym somewhere because I have not canceled it, but I have not been in this entire year. So there is a certain element. The economics just make sense. And again, not to belabor it, um, Disney sells annual passes. So does Universal. And it doesn't cost, you can go in there 12 times a year. It doesn't cost $1,200 for your annual pass, very on your scale, of course, because they know the economics work in their favor of having those brand loyal advocates who are giving them secondary spend in off hours. And that's what a membership does. Um, we're moving towards a subscription-based model. I mean, I don't think there's anything in this country you can't put on a subscription or a membership. And I mean, heck, there are people ordering meat to their doors on a subscription nowadays. So they might as well buy into it. And if you think about the active family fund that we provide, we're basically the same as a Planet Fitness, a Gold's Gym, or an LA Fitness for kids. Hmm. Yeah. Well, first, this is a reminder that I need to jump on my Peloton because I keep paying for that, but don't use it nearly enough. Uh, but second, I, I think that was just so fascinating the way you just walked through that. And I feel like there were there were four main benefits to membership that you just uh, that you just brought up: building energy within the park, fostering advocacy, getting that in park spend, and also the recurring revenue from the guest as well. How would you rank those four? Hmm. I've never really truly ranked them. I think it, it there's a little bit of a case by case um, and it might be a little bit market size. Um, if you're in a smaller town, um, you might automatically have the, the return business. But I think the reoccurring revenue is arguably the most important because you do have to keep the lights on. You, um, you, know, you have to pay your rent. And I think a lot of owners, especially individual park owners, look at it as, how do I have it? Because there is seasonality to the entertainment world. Um, so it knowing the stability of your income, I think, is the most important. I think the energy in the room is probably the second most. And the advocacy, um, even if you took all the others, if you have the energy in the room, your advocacy only expands. So I think that is a huge element to consider. Um, it's almost the icing on top or the gravy is the advocacy onto what you're doing because you've kept the lights on. You've created the right environment for guests coming into your park with that energy that the advocacy just becomes a byproduct of everything that you're doing. Yeah. So Robert, one of the things I'm curious about is, um, given your, your history and, and, you know, restaurants and FECs and things like that, and you've given us some great nuggets and, and kind of advice from your, your, uh, career. I'm curious, what was some of the best business or, or leadership advice that you've gotten over the years? The person I probably got the best advice for, and it was from when I worked with King's Dine Entertainment, was um, Frank Stryaski, who um, came over from AMC, Regal, and a lot of movie theaters. And he worked with our operations and development. He sat there and taught me right off the bat what I spoke to earlier, that leading by example and um, working, working with your um, groups it's just such a huge element to um, being a part of the team that when he walked into a building, he knew whatever location he embraced everyone who was part of the team from the person washing dishes and back to the person at the front desk, to all the managers, he treated them all at the same tier and level. And that's something that I learned from and embraced is that 
every person interacts with your guest and every person has to understand their value to you as a leader. And I think that's incredibly important. And it translates, I think, beyond restaurants and FECs, it translates to all industries. You have to value all of your employees or they won't value you and they won't value the guests that um, they're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Robert, in the few minutes that we have left here, we do want to talk about uh, Altitude coming up on its 10-year anniversary. So we'd love to know a little bit about that and, and what's planned for it. Right now we're doing, you know, a lot of promotion, bringing it in, um, doing promotions inside of the parks. Um, a lot of it is about people embracing it and the memberships doing promotions. Each park's doing a little bit of a one-off um, celebration to it. Some of our older parks, whether they be in Del Mar, Maryland, or they're in Fort Worth, um, are celebrating because they're at their 10 years. But what's just really cool is the 10-year anniversary isn't just going to be for this year. We're going to have parks next year celebrating their 10-year anniversary. 2014 going to the 2024 parks. So we look at it as kind of a celebration for the next five years of not just our anniversary, but it's our parks anniversaries in their communities over the next five years, which is going to be, you know, a really cool experience for um, everyone um, at our parks. So kind of along that line, you said there's no park in Peoria, Illinois yet, right? So I'm right. curious, and, and you don't have to give us any trade secrets, but I'm curious what's in the future, five, 10 years down the road for altitude? I think the one thing that altitude differentiates from some of the movement towards adventure parks in the larger scale is that we look at a business model of about 25,000 square feet for our parks. And again, it goes back to that return on capacity. Do you create an environment for people to enjoy your parks, but they still have enough in there? But it's also working with our owners that we're not just overbuilding, um, so that therefore the owners can have revenue, not just sales. Um, so we're looking not just at the Chicago's and the Dallas's where we're got a good um, level of parks. We are looking at, and I use Peoria as an example. We do look at the Peoria's, the Bentonville, Arkansas, those smaller markets as that an altitude can go into those markets and be successful. And they can be the um, Walt Disney of that town and become that community center um, in there where kids grow up going to birthday parties at altitude. Um, and parents enjoy bringing their kids in there on an altitude. And we have a lot of success with, you know, our parks in Jacksonville, North Carolina, Glen Carbon, Illinois, and uh, Bloomington, Illinois, where they're very successful and they're so embraced by their communities. Um, it doesn't mean we're not going to go into a New York City or a Los Angeles, um, but it does mean that we're looking at that. Um, we're in 29 states right now in multiple countries. Um, every state has an opportunity to have an altitude in it. Um, but we also look out for our owners. We're not going to treat um, Altitude like it's a Starbucks and drop one in right next to the other one. We look at it and each each park has, a, has to have the right amount of room to breathe, per se, on being able to bring in guests to experience the park. Excellent. One of the things we're curious about, too, uh, just in the last couple of minutes that, that we have here is that out of all the attractions that are offered at Altitude, and you gave it a little bit of an overview of, of some of them uh, earlier on in the interview, but do you have a personal favorite that you love the most? And I'm going to probably say it's not my personal favorite, but I have um, two, quote unquote, quality control product testers in my house, a <laughs> daughter who's 12 and a son who's 16. And their favorite is um, actually it's a balance between the um, trapeze and the um, airbag jump. They love the weightlessness of being able to jump onto those attractions and have fun on them. Um, so when I, I defer to them because they're in the target demos or close to them, 
is that they love the experience of being able to jump onto those airbags and being able to launch off of a trapeze into the air and being able to experience those. Those are things they could do over and over again inside the parks. That's so cool. That's so cool. So Robert, uh, this has been a great conversation. So enjoyed uh, having you on. Um, If people wanted to know more about uh, you or the parks, where would you send them? Come to altitude um, trampolinepark.com. But um, you can also contact me at robert.morse at atphq.com for any questions about the industry or about joining the Altitude family. Excellent. Well, Robert, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Uh, Congratulations on Altitude's 10-year anniversary coming up. It is absolutely so exciting. And for everyone out there who is watching and listening, just remember, we are all attraction pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.